0: Home Assistant Podcast episode 13. Today I am joined by Phil. Uh, Rowan is off dealing with some kind of crazy fire or metaphorical fire at work and we have Suresh as our guest.
1: Hey guys. Hey how's it going? Hi there.
0: So what we're going to do is we'll cover off the 0.58 release and then Phil will introduce our guest and we'll jump into, into some interview questions. Let's do it. All right. So, a breaking change. Um, First, let's get that out of the way, is there was a change for the Lutron system because they made an update and it broke um, home assistance connectivity. But being the awesome community that we have with all these developers,
2: it's already fixed. Really quickly. uh, Once again, straight onto it, weren't they? Mm.
0: Um is a breaking change, so I think you have to set everything up, you know, set up the the integration again.
2: And I'm guessing uh, if you had a previous version of like Home Assistant 0.5.7, uh, the Lutron isn't going to work on that anymore, so you will need to upgrade to at least 0.5.8. Yeah.
0: for As far as I'm concerned, there's not really many reasons not to update. Um, pretty good about, you know, making things backwards compatible. Um, mm. Speaking of which, the new front-end, Um well new. Yeah, that's uh come out in this release too. Yeah, well the the new back end of the front end. <laughs> <laughs> um which you have to enable at the moment. Um Yeah, it's opt in at the moment. Yeah, because if you if you have a custom UI might not might not work with new front ends. Yeah, I so. think
2: you have to refactor all those at the moment if you want them to work with a new UI. Mm. It's just upgrading the JavaScript engine, make it a bit more modern. Yes.
0: So it should be uh, yeah, nice and speedy, which is good. Um, it sounds like some older devices won't support it, but they should uh, um, automatically go back to the version that's supported, which is nice. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think uh, from 0.5.9 or maybe 0.6.0, they're going to enable this new front-end by default. So it's a good chance if you have a custom UI to uh, start updating before it becomes required.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, my other favorite sensor, uh, or not favorite I guess it is a sensor. My favorite change from this is um, system log in the front end. I'm quite happy about that because it's it's probably the most powerful tool that we have. So being able to see it in the front end is pretty damn handy.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a great addition as well. Um, I think it only shows the last fifty entries in the front end UI, which is fine, but. Yeah, at least there's now a bit more information in the front end as opposed to just plain text. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I
1: I really love I really love the system log integration uh, right in the has itself. So <clears throat> helps you helps you with a lot of the system under you know the behind the scenes a lot of the things that happens in the system log now you can see it online. So that's that's really good.
0: Yeah, and it's nice and passed as well, <laughs> which is yeah. a, super helpful. Yeah. yeah, it's all the all these things are you know getting. Home assistant towards being more user friendly and not, you know, not just for developers and people with IT skills. So, yeah, all these nice little things. So, making a big difference to that.
1: Yeah the, the the new other feature that we have now is uh, the, the integration with the tile the for presence presence detection. Mm. That's a that's a really cool one. So that's uh, you know the Bluetooth trackers and some of the other presence detection mechanisms the more we have, the better accuracy we're going to get. So, mm. you know, it's very exciting to see the newer presence detection components and modules getting released. So it's only going to make it matter much better now. So,
2: so the, the tile one's actually uh, interesting. I can, uh, from looking at the docs, it looks like uh, the, so the tile itself is Bluetooth, but it does still require uh, it to be paired with a phone, which mm. then right. communicates its location.
1: That's right. You need to have the app on your phone. And um, you need to provide the ID and password for the website so that you can integrate with the website. So it doesn't really talk to the device itself, I guess. Maybe it's talking directly to the system.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one because, yeah, it's cloud polling um, rather than local. Um, I wonder if you, right. with a, you know, with a BLE radio on the Pi 3 or whatever, if you can actually see them mm. without needing the app.
2: But that's what I was wondering too because you have the Happy Bubbles beacons. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And you can poll them locally, can't you? Yes. Yep. yep. Um,
0: running the the presence detection app on my Pi 3. Yep. Hmm. Um, what else have we got? Um, Italian Railroad sensors now available.
2: <laughs> I I love the... all these public transport ones. It's, yeah. it's so interesting to see, you know, all the different cities that have open APIs and they just get integrated. It's great.
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying saying, you know, Non US things, non you know, non yeah. you know that those countries. It's it's nice to see some you know smaller or countries
2: where we have these uh, Yeah, one of my favourite ones is uh, it's actually been in a while. I think it's um the the Swedish hot water sensor. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, there's one that measures like it tells you the temperature uh, currently of the hot water service mm. there, which I thought was very interesting. That's clever.
1: They have. They have a hot water service to home, to homes?
2: Uh, yes, I believe in their country because they have, like, the natural hot springs or something. I could be completely oh. – I could be making this up, but uh, I believe that's how they get hot water to those houses.
0: Hot water as a service.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, what else? I think those are the main exciting ones. There's uh, new presence detection for a router. Um, a PyLoad sensor, which is a download manager, um, Volta VPS. Um, so now we've got Linode, DigitalOcean, and Volta, which are the, the main three kind of super popular cloud providers for mm-hmm. virtual machines. And the LaCrosse sensor, which are the, the weather stations. So you can, um, there's a couple of different ways, bits of hardware that you can use to get Home Assistant to talk directly to it.
2: Oh, so I'm guessing that might be similar to the Nieto, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the the weather station that they have there. Yeah, so
0: it Yato. looks like, so the only lacrosse sensors they've got at the moment are the te- uh, a temperature probe and a temperature humidity. Um, okay. Let's have a look at, yeah, so th- there's a few. Um, it, it, I don't think it's specifically weather station at the moment, but that's what I know. Lacrosse is is the like the mm-hmm. weather stations you put on the roof of your house.
2: Yep.
1: the The other new feature I think uh, is the the language translation. Looks like we've got more uh, words being translated as we speak.
0: That is just blowing up. I, it's I
1: know, unbelievable.
2: I know. So I think last time we we discussed it. Since then, we've actually um, they they moved the first time and now it's cuz it's using that service right uh, everyone's just jumped on it and it's great
1: mm. we have we have about 400 people contributing to the languages section um right now for the localized including myself i um I, I came from india so i got access to two different languages and ah, first, perfect yeah the first of two languages first uh, um, initial set of words that we were supposed to translate were fairly easier and then you know, we got this list of words that need to translate. We got like a hundred more words that need to translate. (laughs) It took me forever to do that. And it was so difficult to do the translation because the translation is not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not very easy. You know, it's not very straightforward. You know, there are different meanings to different words in different languages. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm very excited to see all of the new languages uh, being added actively as well.
0: well. thank you for your effort in doing that um without people taking the time like you did it would never happen and (laughs) yeah so we've got uh as of the 0.58 releases 42 supported languages 130 keys or phrases um to translate and we're at 79 percent complete wow wow
2: that's pretty
0: amazing it is and uh the ios app's been added um now as well and is supported in seven different languages right yeah it's fantastic and yeah uh, the home assistant's going to take over the world i think and this is (laughs) a fantastic you know direction um
2: you know i mean if you think about some other like popular uh hubs uh like vera or even the samsung smart things how many languages do you think they support right now i mean you can't even buy the Samsung smart things outside of the US or the UK, I believe. So having, you know, how many languages did you say, sorry? 42. Officially 42, like that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can name <laughs>
0: 42 languages.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressive. So interesting because right now um, some of the entity names or the group names, if you use a different language, they they don't show up well. So we're going to have to figure out a way to... Um, to be able to name the groups and entities in different languages.
2: Yeah, that always comes hard because of the non-English yes. languages. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's the hard part. I believe, you know, all of the things that you see online, read-only texts and the titles and menu items, they are fantastic. They're easier to do it. But once you start pushing the language into the source code where entity names and things like that would come up, that's going to cause some problems, you know. I know um, because when I got these Z-Wave devices, and some people call it Z-Wave devices. <laughs> that would <be> uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so from from now on, I'm going to refer to them as Z-Wave because it's easy for me to say it. <laughs> um, even though I grew up saying Z all the time. <laughs> so the, the Z-Wave devices, you know, when you associate, when you uh, add devices to add nodes through the Has UI. Um, by default, I believe it takes it as a as a Unicode um, string, and it doesn't display the name. So you have to explicitly go to the settings and then change the name for you to be able to um, manage that. So that's the that's how I found out that you know the name of the entities you cannot have in other languages right now. It's only English is supported. So just an FYI.
2: Yes, I think one way to way to solve that. Uh, in the short term will be, you know, just taking those, for example, thinking of French with the little accented E for cafe. Uh, if someone was to write, you know, a cafe right. entry, uh, you'll just replace that E with the, the English equivalent um, for the entity ID, but the friendly name would still remain with the accented E. I think that would be one of the, the best ways to do it, but yeah, we'll just have to let the devs decide how they're going to yeah. manage that. Yeah, It is an interesting conundrum that will need to be solved eventually.
1: Yep. But yep. we've well, we got a lot of smart people out there, so I'm sure somebody will come through a good solution. Exactly
2: right.
0: All right. I think that was probably a pretty good summary. Um, so, tell us about Suresh.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, Suresh, I, I've done a bit of... I uh, went through your GitHub and uh, was very impressed with your... That you're set up. So you're. So you're, you're originally from India. You're now in the states. Is that right?
1: Uh, that's right. I've been in the states for the last twenty years now. Um, yep. So this this all started with home assistant. You know, it, it happened by accident. By the way, um, you know, I was getting ready to go to India last year, uh, around the same time frame. Uh, in fact, this is the day I left India last year. Yeah,
2: good anniversary.
1: I know. So right before then, I was trying to figure out how do I keep my lights on in the front yard when I'm gone? Or how do I just, you know, turn off the lights and whatnot? So I started with the two switches and a LifeX bulb in the house. That's how I started. And uh, mm. next thing you know, I ended up getting 150 devices and got into home assistant. It was a <laughs> wonderful product that I couldn't even, it's like a gift from the bulb right? I, uh, you know, I tried with the open hab first. It, I just couldn't go anywhere. And then I gave up quickly. And then I moved on to home assistant. It was a breeze. You know, once I set it up to things, it was just a you know an amazing, amazing software. But the fact that it gives you the, the complete integration capabilities across these devices, which otherwise don't talk to each other, and being able to do some automations by integrating all of those information. And the concept of this hardware sensors and the software sensors is also phenomenal when it comes to a home assistant. So that's and I just fell in love with it as soon as I saw that.
2: And so do you have an IT background? Did that help you in setting up home assistant?
1: I do, I do. So I, I have been in IT for the last twenty years as well. So okay. I, yeah. I I have done a lot of programming before. Um, not much these days because of my job requires. You know, I don't do much programming anymore. But I'm still like to keep my hands dirty and do things myself. I find opportunities where I can do these kind of things, and Home Assistant definitely gave me an opportunity to get back to my roots and do more development. Um, so
2: you've been using Home Assistant for about a year now, I'm guessing?
1: Yes, pretty close to a year now, yes.
2: And so you've got uh, Home Assistant, are you using, just running it on a Pi, or you using Hasio, or is there any other like hardware you're running Home Assistant on?
1: I started with the Raspberry Pi um, and then um, probably after maybe six months or so, I got a lot of Z-Wave devices um, and it was taking too long for me to, in the, during the startup times for me to go through it. And then I because I make a lot of changes, the, the, the restarts take some time and whatnot. So I decided to move on to the, its own standalone server. So I, I now run on a uh, – in fact, yesterday I got the MOOC, Um has a one of the Black Black Friday deals that I got. And mm. I've I installed everything on a loop now. So it's the next unit of computing internal i7 processor. So nice. works phenomenal.
0: Yeah, that, that startup time is a killer on the Pi. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's just yeah. so slow. Um, my, I'm still running on a Pi. I really need to move, but I just haven't got around to it.
1: Two seconds to boot and then two seconds to
3: restart.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs>
3: New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
0: Tell us, let's kind of put you on the spot. What's your favorite automation?
3: Oh, boy,
1: that's a good question. That's a hard <laughs> one, too. <laughs> I have, you know, any automation that requires a lot of templating is my favorite automation. Um, so I love templates in the Home Assistant. You know, it uh, it was a it was the hardest thing for me to get my my mind around when I started working with the Home Assistant. Uh, the some of the automations that I have are, you know, my home security system automations are really really good. I really enjoy them. Um, the other automations that I would say is, um, you know, the trash and recycle pickups. We always are the last people to, you know, pull, to pull our uh, recycle bins on the street because <laughs> everybody else has done it already. <laughs> so, and, and, and before that, myself and my, my wife argue, saying today is not the day, tomorrow is the day, or whatnot. And then you know it was, it was a problem for me. So I tried to do something in you know, a gallery work and this and that. It, it's very hard to do it. So I decided, to, you know what, let me just write it down uh, uh, as, a, as an automation in you know, a home assistant. And uh, it became very popular because, you know, at the time when I when I wrote the 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 trash and recycle pickup, uh, the module or the, or the package, we didn't have um, as many sensors we do as today. You know, so I had to be really creative in maintaining the state in the MQTT and, and do all of those things to be able to, you know, uh, have the functionality right. So. It was one of the the, the decent uh, you know, automations that I did for a trash and recycle. It also accounts the change in the schedule. Like today, if there's a public holiday, the recycle day moves on one day ahead. So it it has to change. So all and of It that, does that automatically. It, right now, it does not do that. There's a functionality where I can change in the UI. So if there's okay, a, yeah. a holiday, I can just go back and say just move the day, and it'll be you know, it'll be next. It'll be good for the next two weeks or until the next holiday comes. So. Um, but I think it's really good. Uh, the other automations, I would say one of my favorites are the the audio system that I have at home. Not a, it's like text-to-speech kind of an engine that I have. Uh, I cannot live without it now. So uh, it has to, I, you know, it's it's on all the time. It gives me real-time information all the time.
2: So so this is one I, I picked up from your, your repo um, because you mentioned your multi-room audio, but is it something that you've, created yourself or is it a system like Sonos, like how how does that work?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, my house is about 17, 19 years old house. So there's a, I cannot, there are no built in speakers in the house, which I love to have speakers around the house. And I wanted to come up with some kind of a solution where um, no matter which room I'm in, which room I'm in, which, you know, when I walk from room to room, I want to be able to hear the seamless audio sound effects and I looked around. A lot of the solutions are very, very expensive. So you go with the sona, or sonos, or sonos, or any other you know uh, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth-based systems. They're expensive. So I decided to start um, leveraging my Raspberry Pis and a small you know portable Bluetooth speakers that I have at home. And I start connecting them together. And every room now has a Raspberry Pi and a speaker connected to it.
2: And And um, can you use them as multi-room audio, like will they sync up or is it literally just like for uh, playing individual uh, songs or announcements in each room?
1: Yes, everything. So all of the Raspberry Pis that I have in every room room in the house, they're all synchronized by, uh, I use a software called the Snapcast server. So it's the server that streams the audio content out into the Mm Wi-Fi network in my house. Each room has a; it's on Raspberry Pi, and I have a software called a Snapcast Client running on them. They receive the packets from the server, and each packet has a server's time encoded in it. So when it when the client receives the package, it knows whether to it knows exactly when to play the track. Uh, it should wait for ten sec, ten milliseconds, or it should we skip a track and then play it? So it knows exactly how many how to play it, and they all these packets. Are sent to all these clients, and they all synchronize uh, the music and uh, the streaming content, and then they all play the exact same millisecond. So it, it, it's it's amazing because you're seeing those on a Wi-Fi network. And This is you know Wi-Fi networks seem to have a lot of lags. And yes, yeah, exactly. You have micro, microwave going around; it changes your it impacts your Wi-Fi signals. You have a, a Zigbee um, you know device that I have that impacts with the micro you know with the Wi-Fi signals and whatnot. There's a lot of interference. Even with that, the it, it just works amazingly, amazingly well.
2: So and what can you play through that? Cause I know I, I use Sonos uh, at my house. And okay. so obviously Sonos has uh, integrations, you know, with SoundCloud and Spotify. Uh, is it only local audio that you can play or is it just anything that you can put out of the, like a PC, like audio?
1: Yeah. So there, there is, a, I use something called the uh, MPD. It's called the MOPD media player. Mm-hmm. And um, D Media Player has a lot of extensions. You have Spotify extensions, you can play local media, you can even stream YouTube content as an audio to uh, that. You can select playlists, you can pick radio channels, you can do pretty much everything. Um, you can play music, you can play the, the TTS announcements, text-to-speech announcements from Alexa from a home assistant application. And um, you can listen to radio channels, you can do many things just over the, yeah. Uh, salt yeah.
2: Look out, Sonos! You're coming.
1: <laughs> and this is the this is the the poor man's version of Sonos. You know, this is I probably spent about three hundred dollars on all the Raspberry Pis and speakers, and um, you know, it. My whole house is now completely, completely um, audio enabled. I would
2: say. And what's the integration like with Home Assistant? I know um, with the text to speech component, you can specify which Sonos speaker to put it on. Is uh, are your media players the same? Where you can just specify, you know, I want this text-to-speech announcement to go off in the bedroom.
1: Right. So from Home Assistant, I use something called the GStreamer. Um, it's also one of the, uh, the the components supported by Home Assistant uh, developer community as well. Mm-hmm. And and I um, I specify a pipe uh, for the GStreamer to stream my text-to-speech content to where my Snapcast server is listening on. And then it takes all the content on a pipe and then distributes and broadcasts to all the clients around the wow,
2: house. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a very little neat architecture. It works phenomenally, phenomenally well. And the best part is once you enable all of the Snapcast and the Snap uh, servers and everything, in the Home Assistant dashboard, you will see all of the media players that you can control individually if you want to. So let's say if the kids are reading upstairs and you know, I want to play some music. I can decide not to play the music upstairs and only play downstairs in the basement. I can, if the TV is on, I can skip the the TV room and I can play everywhere else. So you have a lot of control on how you want to play the audio uh, and the announcements and whatnot. That's a really, really good feature.
0: Really is a sonos killer, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed building that. You know. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, if I hadn't already invested in. Sonos speakers for every room in my house would be what I'd be doing too. Um all right. So, you know, speaking of having, you know, like the kids upstairs and things like that, um, what automations have you created specifically for your kids?
1: Hmm. So automations for kids, I, I don't think they enjoy any automation that I do. <laughs> 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 so we do it we do it for ourselves so we can keep an eye on the kids. Mm. So, you know, you know, I think the first, first thing that comes to my mind when, it, when we talk about kids is a safety and a security, right? Mm. Um, we want to be able to keep an eye on the kids and their whereabouts, where they are, how you know they're running around, moving around and whatnot. Um, having, they both have iPhones, so that's a good thing. So at least we can track with the basic stuff. With the home assistant, now we have on tracks and live 360 apps on them, and I I really know exactly when they leave the home zone, when they're coming <laughs> to the home, when they left the school, when they you know um, all of those announcements. You know, as soon as they they leave the school, I get an announcement in the home saying you know your kid has left the school. So that's amazing because now I know how to you know we need to go back and you know go to the bus stop and pick up the kids and whatnot. Um, You know, those are really, really um, helpful for me as well as for my wife. My wife really enjoys those kind of uh, location tracking kind of things. Um, The own tracks is good, but reliability is not very good. Uh, We also use the Life360 app. You know, the Life360 app, uh, I wrote a custom component basically that talks to the Life360 servers, pulls the data, all the longitude, latitude, your, your battery information and everything else. And then drops information to the MQTT in the exact same format as OnTracks. So I get updates yeah. from own tracks and from LiveSquakes in the exact same format. So my existing device tracker code that I have works automatically. So oh,
2: that's very smart.
1: So that actually helped me a lot. So now I don't have to manage two different things. I can always go back and change some you know, component as long as the format is the same as own tracks and I'm good to go.
2: And is that custom component in your GitHub repo as well?
1: Yes, it's on my GitHub repo as well.
2: Cool. Well, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. It's a very, <laughs> very impressive repo. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> um, actually, on, on your repo, you've got a, a, a nice little map um, of how your home automation works with all the, the little Raspberry Pis. Can I just ask what software did you use to create that map? Cause I know there'll be a few of us out here that are looking for something to map out how our home automation works.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So that um, graphic that I created using Microsoft Visio. Um,
2: Visio. Perfect.
1: Microsoft Visio. Yeah. So I, at work, I have Microsoft Visio on my laptop. So I have access to software and I've been using that for last 12 years or so. I, you know, it has so many uh, stencils and shapes and availability for different types of diagrams. You can build a network diagram or you can build a home diagram or you can build a, a computer diagram or you can build a database diagram. Everything you can do, uh, it's all the stencils are available. So I am so used to that. Every every My home laptops and desktops, they all have Visio running on, my, on there as well.
2: Nice. So, and uh, on that map, you've got the, the three Raspberry Pis uh, running your home automation. Are they all running home assistant?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I need to go back and update the diagram a little bit. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> because I, I just I no longer run my home assistant on Raspberry Pis.
2: Yes, you're on um, the, the
1: Nook. I'm on the Nook now, and before that I moved, I was on the Ubuntu uh, server. Um, but I yes I do. So I have I do have multiple instances of home assistant running uh, at the moment at home. Um, not a true active, passive. Or or it's not load balanced or anything? yeah, what I do is the secondary instance of a home assistant has all of the uh, the same setup except some of the automations that are disabled, so none of the automations picked up, and then I have a mqtt a messaging system um, that I leverage to see which one is active and which one is passive mm. and Based on that, I can, other ones, it automatically enables all the automations in the secondary Makeup can pick
2: yeah, it up. This is something I've been tossing up and down. Like, uh, So Dan will understand this. Uh, we both use limitless LED lights. And every time I have to make a change to my config, restart Home Assistant, and all the lights go out, uh, it can get very annoying very quickly. So I'm in the, I'm trying to work out a way to run two versions of like two instances of Home Assistant. One just for the lights, and then one for everything else. But getting them both in sync and then maybe another, another home assistant that can actually run as a, a backup in case one goes down. Um, sounds like you've solved it or getting pretty close to it.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting setup that I have, um, but I, I still have a lot of issues that comes with it right now. So there is, a, you know, the, some of the sensors that we use, they have a limit in terms of how many requests can, can it make? So for example, uh, you have dark sky. You have a limit of maybe a thousand uh, APIs yeah. per day. If I have running on two different uh, Raspberry Pis with the same uh, authentication code, uh, you quickly run out of the number of uh, times you can make some, you know, calls. The number of APIs you can make a day. So there are there are some glitches that I need to figure out what to do with it. Um, maybe I should um, deploy a third instance and do all of them in a different <laughs> uh, <laughs> part. <laughs> so it's just gross, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting way to do that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought, Phil, of running a Home Assistant instance just for lights, but I think you might be onto something there.
2: Yeah, it's, it's something to give me. So I use um, Vera for my Z-Wave, uh, sorry, sorry, Z-Wave. Um, Sensors, (laughs) and um, so I could technically run uh, two versions of Home Assistant and just pull the same like motion sensors out of the Vera into the two different instances. Mm. I do then double the amount of calls I'm making to that hub, Um, so I'm doubling the network traffic. But you know, I'm yeah, it's something that I'm just trying to to you know reduce the amount of frustration it comes to when. Doing a restart on Home Assistant, and that's something I'm considering.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I've had some situations where um, similar to uh, the some of the issues that we have with running multiple instances, I built my own garage door opener with uh, with a bunch of ESP 8266 and Node modules and uh, an MQTT. And uh, one day we found that the garage door got opened up in the middle of the night. We didn't even you know, know what happened there. So, and then. Um, it, it, it's it's very hard sometimes to completely rely on MQTT uh, for critical things like those. Mm. Um, you know, now I ended up removing all of the garage stuff and leave the garage alone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> as a, yeah, as a software developer, I'm also in the mind that you know, Home Assistant is great that it has so many components, but you are creating that single point of failure. If that one instance of Home Assistant goes down, like. My walk-in robe light doesn't turn on, which can be very annoying. Um, but then also, if you split out into multiple instances, then you're just creating more points of failure. And if one link in the chain goes down, then you know potentially everything stops working. So it's hard to get that balance of, you know, having everything in the the one place where if everything, if that one thing goes down, everything goes down, and then splitting it out, but not splitting it out too much that it becomes a burden to keep it updated.
1: That's very true. That's very true. It's a, it's a that's definitely a, something that we need to work on.
0: So. so, looking at your repo and the the picture of your dashboard, how do you find anything? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs>
1: that is a that's a good question. So, I I myself ask that question all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> The the you know the thing with the default view is if you hide the default view in Home Assistant and you add a new uh, device or whatnot they don't show up by default because they're they're part of the default default view yep. so there's no way they automatically show up so I had to keep my default view on all the time so that you know it's there in finding if I need to go find that out and then what I did was I created multiple views after that and I separated all my lights into one view. Cameras into one view, home, you know, trash and recycle stuff into one view. So now I, now I have smaller views that are manageable. Mm. Where you know, um, my wife hates the first page. You know, when she was like, "How do you even find it,
3: <laughs> stuff in the page? It's just
1: way too much stuff, right?" And that is after I, I've made all my automations uh, hidden. So none of my automations are are visible on the UI. Um, they were about, um, um, I mean, it's like. Unbelievable amount of uh, automation that I have—it just goes on and on forever, right? So I had to re- literally use a customized uh, global file to kind of hide all of the automations from the UI completely. And um, most of the automations yeah. work based on some input booleans. Mm. Uh, so I use those input booleans as the controls, and I have a page for settings that says all the uh, text-to-speech announcements. I have an input boolean. If it is on. Then announcements will be home at home. Otherwise, if it is off, then there are no announcements in the house. So things like that. So I say all the device tracker stuff, I can disable them and I can enable them. So that's how I do, I manage them. And uh, I also have, uh, you know, Alexa in the home kit at home so that, you know, pretty every room, every room has, uh, uh, as those, so we can also activate it via the voice commands. So when I'm in the kitchen, I can just say, hey, Alexa, turn on kitchen light and it'll
2: turn on. Do you, use, uh... Do you use tablets or anything <laughs> That's... on the walls? <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Both of us went to ask the same question at the same time.
2: Go ahead, Phil. <laughs> Do you use uh, tablets or anything on the walls to <sighs>
3: control stuff?
1: Oh, uh, not yet. That's actually that is uh, I. You know, I'm I'm debating whether I should have it or not because I. It's hard for me to condense um, things on one simple view. Uh, then I'll be standing near the wall and try to flip the. Flip through the pages if I have multiple views and whatnot. Um, most of the things that I do at home, where to turn on the home security systems or to enable voice verifications or, you know, uh, turning on the lights or switches or whatnot, they're all available through my voice activated commands. In every room, I have this echoes. So there's no really need for me to go to a tablet and physically operate it. It's basically replacing a switch to a, a tablet you know, that makes you to walk out there and then do it. Rather, I just want to sit and just say, hey, Turn the lights off or turn the lights off, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. And so, well, actually, you mentioned a couple of times that your security system. Have you got a, like a monitored security system from a company or is the security system something that you've created yourself?
1: So this is, uh, I use something called the SimpliSafe, um, which is sort of like a DIY um, home security system. You're, you're still paying for them for, uh, right. for 24 by 7 monitoring, active monitoring, but... The devices are yours. You're not renting them. You're not paying a monthly charge, or you're not bound to any contracts or whatnot. Uh, you can expand the system to as many devices as you want, and you can reduce it to keep it bare minimum uh, security system as well. Um, so the good thing is, and again, in the power of home security, the home you know, assistant is it gives you the the access to many different security systems out there, that you know,
0: just makes your life way easier when it comes to managing it. Nice. Um, I think that's all the prepared questions we had for you. Um, is there anything else we want to ask, Phil? Um,
2: no, I think that covers up everything.
0: Again, a, a very inspiring discussion. Whenever we have you know, masters of home assistant on like, like Suresh and Carlo and people like that and just listening to everything they're doing with it, it's like, right... I need to get out and and do some of
2: this. (laughs) And even more ideas are added to the bucket. just keeps growing. But if anyone else wants to come on and uh, share their ideas, they should uh, send us an email, Uh, feedback at perhapspodcast.io, or jump on the Discord channel and come on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We record at the same time um, every two weeks. So I'm sure we'll be able to find a time at some point where you can come on and, yeah, have a chat, join us for the show, and... Yeah. Inspire people to spend more money in <laughs> time. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So Dan and Phil, I appreciate, thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to be here. So it was interesting uh, conversation, very interactive.
2: Well, thank you and, for your translations and your con- yeah, contributions to your GitHub repo, on making it open.
1: I, I enjoy every one of the podcasts and, uh, you know, I hope, uh, um, you know, I, we have we continue this on more, and we get more and more people coming on board, and you know, we learn and from each other and make it a better place to to enjoy. And uh, you know, go from there.
0: Thanks, Suresh. Really appreciate you coming on.
1: All right. Thank you very much, guys. Have Cheers,
2: guys.